And it's the general, it sort of gets you thinking about advertising in Web3 generally and a very interesting space because we're going to see kind of like the democratization of advertising from Fang towards like anybody can do it because all the data is on chain. So we'll go from like an oligopoly to, you know, probably tons of different niche, smaller players that are helping in different ways. to Mission G5 with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission G5 and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. All right. I'm excited today to have Brian Altman joining the show. And Brian has two projects under, I guess, kind of one umbrella. We've been talking about their branding work that they're doing right now on their projects. One is called Dow Exchange and the other one is called Chainvine. And both of them are focused on helping communities in the Web3 ecosystem grow and manage and reward and provide incentives together universally, but they make up the whole of that. And I think it's something we need to see a lot more adoption of in the space. So excited to see somebody focused on kind of the pieces that sometimes get left hanging in the Web3 world. So Brian, thanks for joining me. If you could introduce yourself, tell us about yourself, your background, how you got into crypto after whatever other backgrounds you had, and then tell us about the projects and why you created them and origin story. And it's the general, it sort of gets you thinking about advertising in Web3 generally and a very interesting space because we're going to see kind of like the democratization of advertising from Fang towards like anybody can do it because all the data is on chain. So we'll go from like an oligopoly to, you know, probably tons of different niche smaller players that are helping in different ways. So, so about me, I'm a founder entrepreneur from Canada. I've been building marketplaces for the past 10 years or so. Wow. The last one was called Setter. It was a home services marketplace. Wow. We were home services concierge, in fact. So sort of the last evolution of Web2 marketplaces, the managed service marketplace. Nice. We raised 20 million from Sequoia, grew it to about 100 and sold it to Thumbtack. In late Holy 20. crap. That's awesome, man. Thanks, That's man. fantastic. I didn't know that part of your background. As part of that, I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I sort of reflecting on the Setter journey and the most meaningful things we did. And the thing that I kept coming was building this team in Manila. So we built a team of 40 uh, in, in Manila. And it's kind of like an arbitrary thing, I guess, to call meaningful. But the reason I do is because as a concierge service, you know, the, our people team was a significant part of the business. And originally that was in North America, Toronto, San Francisco. It's really expensive and a low margin business. And so we needed to, you know, offshore, so to speak, we tried using call centers. I don't know. I don't Have you ever employed a call center before? I've built two call centers in Manila. Okay. There you go. Like <laughs> Which yourself, is just crazy. You, you incorporated, you got the office and everything. I had somebody else taking care of the legal side of it. And that's also a sketchy operation in the in, in Manila, if you want it to happen rapidly. So I didn't get my hands into that part of it, but I did ran an organization, hired a few hundred people and have long, lifelong, amazing friendships with a lot of people Heck in that yeah. country. Yeah. Just amazing people. Uh, I'll tell you a story after I'll tell you a story afterwards about how I ended up firing all the executives that were put on the team that I inherited and hiring all the administrative assistants to run the company. So well, <laughs> we can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I love that. It sounds like we had the same experience and sort of falling in love with the country through the process. Again, we started by using the traditional BPOs that, you know, Silicon Valley uses. Right. I don't want to name names, um, but we tried them all. They all sacked. Terrible experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, they take like too big a margin. They treat their employees like shit. So eventually I was, I sort of gave up and I flew to the Manila and I just moved there for half a year and started building a team. And uh, the end result was like the world's greatest win-win. I think we nice. paid, you know, eight bucks us an hour, which is huge. Yeah. Like 1.6 X what most people are getting paid. Exactly. And we had zero resignations. The team absolutely loved working with us. We treated ourselves like one team, not as if there was like the North American team and the Philippines team. And, uh, and so it's just this really rewarding experience, by the way, that, so when we sold to Thumbtack, Thumbtack has an a thousand person team in the Philippines. The gentleman that was running our team in the Philippines now runs Thumbtacks. Nice. That's um, awesome. That's so that's awesome. All right. So I got to I'll break, I may cut this out, but we'll see, but I got to tell you a quick story because Please. you're just hitting all these memories for me. So the first time I did this, I inherited the core team from a guy who hired me to run his outsourced web hosting support company, right? But he was a bit of a dick, but his philosophy there was similar to mine in terms of reward these people, pay them well, build something strong, build a strong team. So I did my first flight to Manila. And as I landed, we were like 12 hours away from Typhoon hitting hitting Classic. the Philippines. Yeah. yeah. And had some other experiences along the way, you know, the company made me get all this executive insurance and all this stuff before I got there. And then there were two armed limo drivers that picked me up, which I thought was a little extreme and unnecessary, but at the time I had no idea. And so it was a little terrifying. Anyway, we get to the, we get to our offices. We're like on 10th floor of a building. I don't know. Uh, high up. Thing like that yeah 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 and the woman who was running it for me called me and said you know typhoon's coming i said okay you know tell everybody go home get out let's get out while there's still time for them a lot of them lived way out right so had to get wanted to make sure they could get home safely and everything and she's like no they're not leaving and we were 24 7 support operation and i said but they have to leave you know, it was, just, it was a big storm coming. It wasn't anything minor. And living in Miami, you know, you get used to battening down the hatches. And I said, but they have to leave. They have to leave. And I was wiped, just totally wiped. So, so the storm comes and these people are still in this office building and the window gets blown out of the office building and they're, what? they're still at their desks. And I'm, I finally called her. I sent vans over. I figured out how to get somebody to get some vans over, got some vans over to them, booked them rooms in this hotel I was in and just dragged them out of the building, but they would not leave. And it was partially the work ethic. It was partially grateful for the amount of money they were being paid, but it was also what you were talking about, which was not treating it like something secondary, treating it like they were part of the entity. They were part of the team. They were part of the community, you know, and that, I think that's, makes such a huge deal the experience of that offshoring or outsourcing experience so anyway that that was a crazy story but i have i just have such fond memories of working with those folks that's an extreme example i mean i haven't experienced it's crazy that. But, but but yeah i mean that's the filipino culture it's it's very customer service oriented and it's like intensely loyal it's sometimes not assertive enough it's sometimes like overly obedient and unassertive to a fault yeah absolutely but so it's phenomenal and it's crazy, like just the disparity between what you can earn in North America there. And now that oh. the world's remote and online, you know, so much more work should be flowing there. And so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, well, such a bad tangent for me to take you off on that, but I just couldn't help it. That was, it, it's one of my, one of my favorite business stories. No, anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, so you had Setter, you built the, you you built your operations team in Manila and you were thinking about the, yeah, the line so was you're thinking about the community or the team you built. And well, so, I, so what was clear to me was that this was this huge opportunity, both from a business standpoint and from a meeting standpoint. And so I was trying to figure out how to do more of this global opera, like workforce type stuff. And I was speaking with the team there told me about Axie infinity early in its heyday. It was a little bit earlier than like everybody hearing about it, but you know, I was hearing like, yeah, like my cousin's nephew's playing and like, you know, yeah, like my, I've started, the person who was running the team had become a, uh, what was it called? A scholarship provider. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a guild almost. Like he yeah. was a guild. He was running like his own like guild. And I was, and, uh, and the thing that really blew my mind was when I heard that there's a, there were a bunch of like restaurants and stores in the Philippines that were accepting SLP as tender. Amazing. 
And so I was like, I was boggled by this. And so I just, I was like fat, like up until that point, you know, the extent to which I'd done crypto was, you know, I'd got scammed by Mt. Gox. I got scammed by Quadriga. Oh, you know, I, I had like participated as a Canadian going to Burning Man and like, you know, prep, prepping my packing list and whatnot, but it was limited. And, uh, but this sent me deep down the rabbit hole. Nice. So that's how I got into crypto. I generally, at first I was trying to like create like a talent, like a crypto powered talent net, but you know, one thing led to another and I, I'm a curious person. So I kind of adjusted my approach towards just generally trying to help web three communities grow, recognizing that these are global communities and that, you know, by nature, that also shifts opportunity. And so that yeah. was, yeah. And you had direct experience with kind of how to coordinate that, right? I mean, if you think about what you built there, that's the exact kinds of things that every one of these projects are grappling with in terms of different people, different time zone, different cultures, all trying to work and contribute together, how to bring them together, how to incentivize them, how to keep everything on track, right? I mean, I don't know if that's how you thought about it, but it's very apparent to me that makes a ton of sense. I hadn't thought about that, but that's true. That's <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, I guess my brain works in that way. Yeah. So yeah, we, we, we started out actually initially building kind of like an angel list for DAOs sort of thing. It was called, you know, so it's still called DAO exchange, but originally it was like a, a product hunt place where you could get DAOs. And we were also building this tool to help communities manage their bounty program. And the okay. idea was we were going to use that as the single player tool to spin up the marketplace. But pretty quickly, we saw the way people were really using this tool was to create marketing bounties. And then it became clear, well, they shouldn't be bounties. They should be quests and content. Wow. And one thing led to another, and we've kind of conceptualized this tool that people use to engage their community through like micro rewards, but then also to inspire them to market the brand. Nice. Um, and since then we've kind of found like a hotspot in community driven growth. So wherever someone has an ambassador program, they really like our tool. You can, you can use our tool to, you know, engage people into these tasks. There's like a leaderboard that creates competition. And then, you know, and that we call DAO exchange today and potentially we'll change the name because we, we serve more than just DAOs. We serve protocols, we serve NFT communities, any business that has community in web three. And then we've the very specific version of this, again, like the number one thing people are doing is marketing. We've kind of put together into this product called Chainvine, which is basically referral infrastructure for Web3. So you can give your community unique links that they can use to you know, promote your protocol or product. And if someone uses it and takes an on-chain action after having used your link, then you get a reward, they get a reward. Um, so it, you know, it's a hyper-specific version of our DAO exchange tool. Right. And and that's actually not an easy problem to solve initially in the web three space, I would think, because all of the existing kind of referral packages are totally web-based and e-commerce shopping cart, excuse me, based, but you were actually, it sounds like you're, and I don't have enough knowledge of it yet, but it sounds like you're actually doing integration into tracking wallets from the click through to an action in on chain. So that would certainly, I'm sure everybody and their dog that's trying to do some kind of referral program in this space looks at every affiliate system out there and realizes eventually that unless they do something manual, it's not going to work. Yeah, totally. And it's the general, it sort of gets you thinking about advertising in Web3 generally and a very interesting space because we're going to see kind of like the democratization of advertising from Fang towards like anybody can do it because all the data is on chain. So we'll go from like an oligopoly to you know, probably tons of different niche, smaller players that are helping in different ways. It's pretty so, cool. so does that mean you get back to the marketplace and it's advertising and web three properties based at some point? Sorry, what do you mean by that? Well, so you came from a marketplace background, right? So my, when you started talking about, you know, how advertising works, certainly the community driving referrals is a great thing, but you shouldn't infer what you should do with your business, but it just seems like if you're down that path, right? The next place you end up is, well, you've got all these DAOs and NFT projects and communities who are trying to recruit community, et cetera. Is there some kind of marketplace of advertising between properties within the Web3 space that puts you ends up being, putting you back into kind of the marketplace world again? 
Yeah, to probably. <laughs> I think I find marketplaces fascinating. You can create flywheels are so much fun. You can create like tons of value as you start to bring people together. But right now our tools are very much single player. Okay. Um, so they're, you know, like Chainvine, which is our referral infrastructure. We just completed a build of it for a lending protocol via nice. a grant. And it was a significant effort to, because tactically you have to, we have to build out the infrastructure to listen to their smart contracts. Right. And so it's kind of custom. And then our, our, you know, community growth tool, again, is also focused on the community manager specifically. So for now, all our stuff's just single player. Got it. Got it. Well, it makes sense. Look, you start with the tools and wherever it ends up. So that's great. All right. So let's do this. I love the evolution into the products, but let's talk about each of them and break down kind of what it does for projects and for, you know, community members, how it functions and kind of what your approach was to what you, how you determined what people needed and what you gave them and then how that's evolved. Cool. Which one do you want to start with? Let's do, uh, let's start with, let's start with the DAO exchange first, I guess. Okay. So DAO Exchange started as a bounty tool and it was the design principle we started with was let's build this thing. So it's a hundred percent in discord. Okay. And the idea was at the time, there really wasn't much out there. When I first started building this layer three was in its early days. I don't know if you've ever seen them, sure. but they're like a bounty marketplace. Beyond that, there weren't tools out there. What I noticed was layer three was like the centralized platform, whereas everybody's like building their community in discord. So I wanted to build a tool where people could engage their people directly in discord. Nice. It was super janky. And it's I was about to say, I can't imagine. Well, user experience, many grat thanks and gratitude to the communities that messed around with this. Like you had to like, you had to like copy this, like little, like if someone created a bounty and you wanted to apply to it, you had to copy the ID. Then you would type in like slash apply. And then like you had, you know, in, in discord where you put in these like little variables, you'd have to like put in the thing, the ID, and then like your user is the comp and it didn't work on mobile whatsoever. So the, oh. it was a mess. We rejigged it. So we spent probably like a month and a half, just fine tuning the heck out of this flow. So to this day, our tool, our tool is mostly discord based. Okay. It's an extremely seamless flow. Generally, anybody that uses our tools are amazed that we can do the things that we can do in Discord. But it's nice. just because we've gone super freaking deep on what's possible and a new thing comes out and we incorporate it. We like it, it's it's to the point where you actually pay people out on chain via buttons in Discord. Wow, that's amazing. It's pretty cool. That's cool. I had no idea you could do that. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, What's the, I mean, for the purposes of, you know, there, there's a mix of an audience listening to the show. It's everybody from project founders to DGENs to casual crypto investors, right? So the idea first is that you have thing, you have a project and you have things that you would like members of your community to do, whether it's translations, promotions, graphic design, maybe development, marketing, whatever, and you're going to offer some reward for doing it or, you know, something as simple as retweeting a tweet. Right. And so from a, from the project's perspective, they set up and say, okay, I'm integrating and allowing this into the discord channel. Right. Then what does the, what is the process for them going about kind of setting up the bounties themselves? Is it all, does that all happen in discord as well? That they actually set up the bounties themselves. So everything is in discord. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We even now have a leaderboard in discord. Wow. Um, so you, by the way, I should, should be taking notes on how you pit, uh, you, you explain what the tool is. <laughs> uh, yes, that was very, that was a good cool. encapsulation. Well, the good news is we have a recording. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And then from the user's perspective, is there just, you know, the project sets up a couple of channels where the bounties come flowing in and they can, can they set up like channels that are marketing bounties, development bounties? retweet this bounty, whatever, or how does that, how does that, how do you see the stream of what's coming in? It's so typically you put, you can put the bot in whatever channel you want in your discord, right. different things. But the one we always recommend is you create a channel called rewards. Got it. And then in rewards, you post these quests, contest bounties, and then, you know, depending on what it is, people can apply to it. And, you know, bounty, a bounty is like one person does the thing. It tends to be a bigger task. 
there's an application process before the person starts to do the work. Okay. Test is like a lower scale task that many people might do. Cool. You can have like 50 people, 100 people, 1,000 people do it. Sometimes it gets really crazy in these NFT communities. And then contests are time bound where there's prizes for like first, second, third place. And to give you a sense of like what people might do with these things, like we've had someone build a web, like put a build us a website as a bounty. We've also had things wow. like write, you know, a medium post that gets like published on the medium homepage. And the moment someone manages to do that, they get like a thousand dollars. Nice. That tend to be smaller things. It's like, you know, tweet about us and get more than 200 impressions or, you know, answer questions on this thread that had gone viral. Let's have the community answer the questions. And then contests tend to be like big pushes. We just released this feature. You know, let's get everybody freaking buzzing about it. The person that like gets the most people buzzing, you know, wins and so on and so forth. And the prizes can be tokens on mainnet or Polygon. And we on the back end spin up a Gnosis safe for you and take care of all the administration, collecting your users' wallets, which ends up being very convenient for you, by the way, because you start to connect wallet IDs to Discord IDs and you get nice. this 360 perspective of who your community is. But yeah, you can pay out in tokens, NFTs, or, and we've actually seen that a lot of people do this, you can like make up points. So if you're huh. a free token community or you're an NFT community, you can make up a point on our thing and we'll we'll keep track of how many points everybody's owed and you can make those things worth different things nah. and so that's you know that's sort of what you can do with it today and we've got like a big vision of all the things that we're adding to it to turn it into you know the quote unquote community relationship manager yeah that's awesome so uh, i i would assume as well you over time you'll build up kind of best practices roadmap for projects right you'll have knowledge of you know, bounty price points that work or ways to word bounties properly to get people to take action or how to get engagement with things. I mean, there's all kinds of facets to this too, is is the motivation and the persuasion of the community to take actions along with the financial or point incentive, but also what the specific thing is. If it's just as simple as responding to a tweet, you know, there may be different levels of engagement. But anyway, it, it seems like there would be a lot of opportunity for you guys to help projects as you grow and you have more data figure out how best to optimize what they're doing totally yeah yeah we do that with a lot of our communities kind of cross-pollinate <clears throat> what we're seeing in different communities that work and you know the next product we'll talk about chainvine is in many ways an evolution of what we've kind of been learning through dow exchange just so we're you know we're learning we're getting smarter and we share that with the communities that we're working with that's cool now are you building in capabilities in DAO exchange to measure the results of outward actions, or is that all built into Chainvine? In other words, if I, if I set up a tweet to, for people to engage with or retweet or whatever, are you pulling data from the Twitter API or is that something now that the projects are just kind of going out and checking themselves and saying, oh yeah, look, we had X number of engagements. Yes. That's a feature on the very short-term roadmap, which oh, is nice. the Twitter integration. Uh, at the moment, people are checking it manually, but Twitter's API is very friendly. And so, oh, good. so yeah, all those things, pulling in analytics, data, um, impression, uh, impressions and stuff like that, it's all possible. So even things like, you know, are people putting our PFP in their profile picture or nice. are they putting like our emoji in their username, all possible to pull from their API. That's awesome. And my problem would be running your company is that there's so many paths I'd want to take this down. I don't know how I would keep from doing it, right? Because, you know, then you're down the path of being a Twitter marketing tool and tracking Twitter engagements and everything else. But I guess if you focus exclusively on community engagement, you won't, you're not going to be a victim of feature creep into things you're not doing. Yeah. I mean, we're in, we're in, we're all in this like super new territory, right? And right. so generally I like the, I like, you know, all the different thinking about all the different ways we can go and what we're trying to, well, we like the thing that we're constantly doing is thinking through, you know, based off of how many people we know would want this, you know, serving the community manager to help grow. What's the number one thing we could build that has the most impact at any given nice. point. Nice. Well, I like the mission-based approach. That's good. And then you can keep you on track that way. That's great. Okay. So that's Dow exchange. I, I guess kind of the summary of it currently 
on Dow Exchange. How many pro I mean, you've got a ton of testimonials on the website. And by the way, you know, beautifully done website. Every Web3 founder should look at the way this thing is structured, the value proposition, the short and simple summaries, the slowly build up to the features, and then the full-blown testimonials to close the deal and do the call to action. I mean, it's just a beautifully done marketing page on both of your sites. So that was one of the first things I noticed, just this kind of simple path-based marketing that you guys do on the website. I'd love to see more projects in this space kind of think about it from that perspective. Instead, it's, you know, some tagline and a video of some guy at his desk that hasn't been edited and read our docs, you know? And so I'm hopeful that more projects can start to understand a little bit more about the value proposition and benefits over features. So kudos to you guys for doing that. And now I took myself completely off my train of thought. For By the way, credits to Newton on our team, who's our designer and is hyper-talented. So Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I lost my whole train of thought there. All right, let's jump into Chainvine a little bit more, though. Tell me about that. So Chainvine is, again, the number one way that we were seeing people use the bounty tool was for marketing. Um, if you look at the bounty, by the way, this is a bit divergent, but whatever. It's fun, it's fun, fun to do. If you look at the landscape of bounties... The, from a monetary perspective, the biggest spend on bounties is bug bounties via ImmuneFi. The largest volume of bounties and still a significant spend on bounties is product bounties through Gitcoin. And then the other stuff that we see on Twitter is actually a very small part of the overall volume and dollars from that standpoint. But this last category, the number one thing people are doing with them is marketing and recruiting. So a protocol might make a bounty you know, about make some dune dashboard to recruit a growth person or, you know, an entity makes bounties to market their, their project. Anyways, um, we decided to lean into that. And so Chainvine is the hyper-specific automatic version of the DAO exchange tool. And so the way that it works is for a protocol that wants to use their community to grow, they can use Chainvine to generate unique links for everybody in the community and track whether on-chain actions that they want to happen through those links and then reward the people in their community for referring and the people that are referred. So it's the Web3 version of like the Web2 give get programs that right. we all know and love from like Uber and Airbnb, refer your friend, give 20, get 20 kind of Got thing. It. Nice. So essentially it could be something like, you know, put this link out and get your friends to deposit X into X farm. And then you cross identify in the system that they have in fact done that deposit and that it was Joe that sent the link because it was his link. How do you track from, are you, I don't think, I don't got to assume here. Are you using just all URL redirects to understand that the link came from them and then how do you track that into an actual on-chain transaction i mean don't give me with a secret sauce but theoretically how do you track from the click on that url into the actual action on chain i understand how you can do that with a website that's easy but what is the parameter that that gives you that data back or how did you guys figure out how to do that i guess is my question without you know giving away proprietary info yeah well we connect wallets together so when you refer, we do it at the wallet level, like in web two, it's at the cookie level, right? We do it at the wallet level, so to speak. So when you have someone come through to be eligible for their reward, they have to connect their wallet. Right. Okay. So you're just, you know, that they clicked the URL, they came to the site and you know that they were the ones that do it. And if they connect their wallet, then that action has been taken through the website. And so then, you know, I got it. Okay. You know, Thanks. the referrer, we know the claimer and thereafter we listen to on-chain what that wallet does by the claimer. Beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. Now, so does that require a bit of integration in the DAP side, the front end for the projects to be able to gain the tracking mechanism on there? Yeah. So we have to do, so Chainvine's a much more custom prod project. We've to this, it's very new I and mean, we've just completed our first grant customizing this for a lending protocol. So they're incentivizing people to lend or borrow and experience the platform. And so, yes, yeah, so, so for anybody wanting to use Chainvine, it's sort of like a custom setup that, you know, we're excited. It's going to get more and more efficient over time and et cetera. Cool. And then how, for each product, how do projects pay you guys? Is it professional services fees on Chainvine and set up and then kind of monthly or how, what's the payment model for each? 
Yeah. So chain is like professional services fees, so to uh-huh. speak. It's like non-rec. And then DAO exchange is a monthly fee for this. Okay. And the DAO exchange, I can set up completely myself and go to town and start running it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's quite intuitive. Nice. Very nice. Where, so right now it looked like from the testimonials, you have quite a few customers using DAO exchange. Do you have a number that you can disclose of kind of how many people have adopted it at this point? We, so it's, we're not announcing that, but I'll give you a range. It's okay. more than, let's see. It's less than 200, oh, more than that's 30. Awesome. And from your perspective, how are you guys, are you really relying a lot on word of mouth for the project to project communication about what people are doing to like, they, somebody's buddy, community manager A goes and looks at community manager B's discord and goes, holy crap, what's that? And how did you do that? And that's how you guys are getting a lot of your existing customers. Yeah. At first it was very much brute force. Uh-huh. So it was a lot of like hustling non-sexy stuff of just like, you know, messaging a lot of people. Hey, come try this. Yeah. Um, and, and then now we have some word of mouth and, you know, we, we have raised some amount of funding and we have got some like phenomenal folks behind us. And so we've got some great introductions from our community investors, so to speak. But yeah, gr- I mean, growth is hard in web three. Hence yeah. what we're do. Hence the product. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Are you going to, are you going to build a community around the product and use the product yourself to market it? We will, we will. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we have done experiments with all our stuff. Chainvine in particular has blown my mind as to like the power of these in- incentives. We created a stupid thing whereby I created a discord. I released a Chainvine give get for having people join the discord where the reward was a quarter Matic for referring someone and a quarter Matic for getting referred. And we basically broke our servers. Like it, nothing what? happened. And then it just absolutely, <laughs> people discovered the thing. And by the way, the background of how these token incentive works are like telegram groups and WhatsApp groups in like Indonesia and the Philippines and India and so on. Sure. And, pe- and people just, once they discover how your thing works, like it gets exploited. And anyway, I was, I, it was the first time that I'd seen firsthand you know, how Axie gets to millions of users in a month, you know, it's like that's people, crazy. people how it works. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. How, you know, in terms of, in terms of managing this as a project, not you, but communities that are your customers, how do they go about, uh, I mean, this isn't a product-based thing, but I'm curious because I think that brings up a, a targeting issue for some projects, right? Some projects just want mass appeal you know, anybody, anywhere, other projects are more, you know, relatable to higher end investors, or maybe they have a more moderate target of investor. Have you guys started to see how projects are kind of learning how to target properly and learning how to attract the right community and the right members? And is there a mechanism to, to filter that? And I'm not saying that your product does that. I'm saying that more from, are you guys seeing that that's something that communities are struggling with, or are they still kind of shotgunning it and just going, we'll take anything that comes into our community, right? Because at some point, massive influx can equal chaos and a lot to manage and not necessarily a lot of end user value into a protocol, right? For example, I have a, I own a part of a company that does trading tools, right? And the trading tool market is typically filled with, well, a lot of shillers and a lot of attitudes, you know, and we were determined from the very beginning that our community was going to be totally educational based. There was not going to be tolerated any shilling or assholes in the group that were treating people rudely or anything. So we strict strict rules and ban people. And it's grown to 7,000 people that are loyal and love it and use it all day and use our tools, but it's a hard thing to manage. And I'm wondering if you're finding within the communities, as you guys have these insights into what they're doing, our communities getting better at how they manage and how they target who they bring into those communities. I think there's like very, we work with different types of communities. So, you know, NFT communities, let's say the way that they filter is by effectively the floor price. And it's not really in their control per se, but like, you know, the people in board API club are going to tend to be more well off than the people sure. that are like in 
you know, some like 0.04 ETH floor price club. Right. Uh, and so that's a thing within the concept of like protocols that are governed by token incentives. I think what it really comes down to is that you need to set up the right incentives. The problem with Axie Infinity was that there, there was minimal value to the payments made, right? Like I think the broadest idea was, okay, hey, we're going to pay people to play instead of spending a ton of money on marketing through this, we're going to get the word out and we're going to make this game fun because it's a massive multiplayer game. Truth is the game wasn't very fun. I don't know if you've ever played it. No, I, I attempted once and just said, oh my God, seriously, you want a thousand dollars for me to try this? <laughs> it wasn't that fun. There weren't that many network effects to having lots of people playing. Right. Uh, whereas if you shepherd these people, if you, if you shepherd folks through incentives to do meaning like real work, for example, like I think a thing that would be really interesting would be if someone made a protocol that's like a mechanical Turk protocol. Similar uh -huh. thing, relatively low skill stuff, but real work's getting done. You know those CAPTCHAs that we all fill out? Sure. We're training like an AI algorithm. You could imagine that like you have people, anyway, I, I digress, but I think the general, my general thinking on the matter is for protocols, you just need to set up the incentives that get people to the right action. So again, right. Facebook would spend tons of money on marketing to get people to the point that they had seven friends because they discovered that the moment that you have seven friends, you are now a highly retentive user. Yeah. Uh, I think where things have failed is where they give money towards a place that hasn't created real value. So for example, when we, are, when we implemented Chainvine for this lending protocol, we set up the, basically the ability in the campaign to set up a minimum hold time. So it's not just that you have to get someone to uh -huh. lend or borrow, it's that you have to get them to lend or borrow and hold the position for a certain amount of time. Nice. And for them, we made a custom because we're gonna, they're gonna experiment with like, what's the right length? What's the right incentive? But yeah, so I, I think, and then I, the last thing I think that's true is, you know, generally if you grow through your community, you, so you look at the way people use DAO exchange, your community are gonna necessarily be connected to other people that are, are the right target for your community, your product or et cetera. That makes sense, right? So I think, yeah. Those as you as you traverse through this web3 world do you find yourself seeing protocols and projects out there that your your 10 years of marketplace experience looking at protocols that are oftentimes somewhat marketplaces would have a lot of thoughts as you're going about learning about all these different protocols that you're interacting with must have a lot of thoughts about what web3 could be doing better right I mean, is that something you think about or is it just so far removed from what you were building that it's not applicable? I mean, I think we're going to see a lot more like web two like experiences with web three incentives. Like an example of that is brain trust, right. um, brain trust. There are a bunch of web two marketplace founders, right. That just created some basic token incentives in the background. There's a lot of wizard of Ozing going on in the same way that people generally build marketplaces. Right. And then, so, so I think we're going to see more of that. Generally, I think that, you know, something like Uniswap is a brand new type of marketplace that's frankly like way more impressive and powerful than any marketplaces before. It's like kind of magical right. that this thing just works. Runs. Uh, yeah. It's beautiful. The, what I, what, what I'd like to see more of is like more highly analytical people thinking about tokenomics incentive structures for these various things, because it feels a bit like the wild west in that I don't think that there's any great playbooks for this stuff. If you actually want to find like, who's the McKinsey of tokenomics, I don't know. There's like token engineering commons. There's the token engineering economy. There's like tokenomics debt. Like there's not really no. any folks that like know this stuff cold and there should be because it's very powerful stuff. Yeah, I think we're just going through the growing pains of everybody guessing. Yeah, look, I mean, people are modeling things out and trying things. I, look, I had a, my first interview with, with Zeus from Olympus. I think the guy's brilliant, right? And he modeled out their token model thousands of times. And when I interviewed him, he had just gotten through what his model had determined was going to be the make or break of the whole protocol. And he was, they were through it. They had made it through, survived, had succeeded. Things were better, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, human psychology played the biggest role in crashing the whole thing. Yeah. And, and 
uh, I think back about that often because I was so impressed with him and so impressed with how he had thought through this and how long he'd spent modeling it and his motivation for it. And thought that must have just been such a devastating thing to think that you have overcome this massive hurdle that you thought was the worst thing you were going to have to do and then watch the whole thing kind of collapse around you. So I, look, I agree with you. I think we are at that stage where the people capable of thinking through this, I don't know if there's enough lessons yet. Right. And I, I think that I was just, I have a daily show. I was just talking to my partner about it on the show today. It's like, we have to have this pain and suffering in order to get to something like you're talking about. So what do you think are the most interesting examples of like, you know, protocols that are driven by incentives or, you know, one, one I was thinking about recently, one, one I'm really interested in is this concept of how do you, it was kind of how, when I, you know, when I mentioned, I started out on this journey and I was trying to do like a labor marketplace, sure. crypto incentives. I got a bit stuck on figuring out what is the model for how, like tactically, if you were trying to build a, teams in ascending nations, the hardest part, as you know, is hiring abroad. Now you can start to build some leverage because you're going, you're going to like build the someone you're going to hire someone that hires other people um, right but generally for any new entity getting started doing that is very complicated and it's different right in north america you might interview 10 people to hire two in right yeah you know, you're hiring in the philippines you're going to interview like 140 people to hire one uh, and so one thing i'm very interested in is like the you know who the best examples of token curated registries because that's kind of what you would want there you would want right. Yeah. So I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, look, I think there's some really cool models. You know, I just interviewed, I just interviewed a guy who's trying to flip the entire stablecoin concept on his head. It's a project called the uh, Dyad or DYAD. And it's a financial NFT model with all kinds of amazing mechanisms built into it. On one hand, I worry that it's a little complex. But on the other hand, it feels like all the safety valves are built into this thing properly to have it run completely, you know, radically decentralized. And mm. it's a brilliant concept, but you know, we thought that a lot of other concepts were absolutely brilliant and never were going to fail. So I will tell you, I'm interviewing for the third time next week, the founders of Beanstalk. I don't know if you've seen Beanstalk or not, but yeah. yeah so I'm so impressed with those guys and you know, they're very mission driven, very smart, had a model that was running beautifully and got kicked with a governance exploit. Right, right, right. right. And so here's the thing. So theoretically, the algorithm, the model, the tokenization is working beautifully, highly complex. One of the things I told them from the very beginning is you're never going to get the average person to engage in anything beyond using Bean as a stablecoin because they're not going to bother to figure out all the complexity of how this backend functions. But it worked and it was working beautifully and they had some a couple of very severe events that took it way off peg and the system functioned and brought it back and mm -hmm. it was working great so the governance exploit happens right and they come up with a model to add another component to their algorithm something they call fertilizer and sell that at these so that you get in line to later get being minted for you by providing cash now to pay back the people that lost money in the protocol absolutely brilliant concept it seems to make a ton of sense but something is going wrong because they lost so much momentum in their brand and in their image a non-token model thing to think about right they lost all that momentum with three months three months of shutdown all the business development they could have done to get people using bean and other protocols that nobody's using bean at the moment so with if you don't have that piece then you're just stuck in neutral, right? And that's where they are. They have this brilliant thing that worked and functioned beautifully. They but how do you, what's that? But they've lost momentum. They lost momentum. And so how do you restart that from the beginning while also having all this accrued debt the algorithm has to pay back to people? So there are, I think there are so many things that we can't know we have to model for yet that, and look, I think Bing can overcome it. I think, but it's going to require you know, kickstarting this by getting a couple of deals that get Bean being used and the algorithm functioning and running so that the thing functions the way it was because it was functioning beautifully. Right. So I guess in answer to your question, I think we have a few more years of pain and suffering 
to learn lessons from. I wish we had, I mean, there, I, and there are a lot of brilliant people I follow on Twitter that, that espouse tokenomics models and find the holes in models all the time and are brilliant analysts and data people that I am not. I mean, I follow them to kind of get an edge on what I can see out there, but I think we have, I think we have evolved and gotten better and I think we will continue to get better. And then we'll have things like hubris, like Terra that'll get in our way and right. human fallibility that'll get in our way and cascading liquidations that get in our way because we haven't, you know, think about that stable coins and, and lending protocols, right? Well, maybe as a community, all the lending protocols need to get together and figure out when things have reached a potential crisis point on a particular token or whatever it might be, because there's over collateralization of this, right? Look, I, again, I think there's going to be all kinds of lessons. We were talking about on the show today. I said, you know, here's the beauty of it. Nobody in this space is asking for a bailout. Everybody's learning their lessons and licking their wounds when they get hurt. It sucks when people lose all their money because they didn't listen to everybody saying, don't put all your money into this protocol or any one thing. And this is high risk. But all of us, I think, I don't know why I'm going off this philosophical tangent. All of us are learning lessons together right? The builders, the developers, the marketers, the community people. It's just, it's hard. It's a, we're, you know, kind of reinventing how money works. So it makes it while still trying to bring in pieces of the old system, you know? Right. So it's weird. What do you think? I was just looking up, I, like I was trying to answer my own question too. What are some of the examples? One that came to mind was helium as mm. a, you know, example of a fairly successful. And anyways, I was looking up their token price. And I didn't realize this, they're down from a high of like 55 to eight. Yeah. You know, Why? over the last three weeks, uh, an influencer on Twitter wrote an analysis of it and found out that number one, all the customers they had listed on their website weren't actually cost corporate customers. And number two, their total revenue was like $6,500 for oh. the people holding nodes. Yeah. It was like some ridiculous level. So, and then he dove deeper and found out that all of the people who had bought and invested in nodes were really angry that the adoption levels weren't where they were. So it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, the human fallibility piece, the piece that we can't, the psychology of people. So this guy writes this bad thing, the company responds, some people defend them there and A16Z and others came in, I think they're investors and were defending that this is a model that takes time and all those things that you would say, because it does take time to build that network. Um, but people get scared and they start dumping you. Right. And then wait, wait a minute, this thing should work, right? You buy this hardware, you provide this node, you're providing a service to the community, but who's getting users to actually sign up for it, you know? Right. So, so that's why it dropped that much because no matter how good the tokenomics are, we still have human beings in the equation. You know, I think we'll get more and more automated. I used to joke when I started kind of looking at AI quite a bit and, and trying to understand the impact of it. When I was working in a marketing role, I said, you know, CM, I think the average CMO in the corporate world lasts for 18 months in their job, right? Because it's never quite enough for marketing. And I used to joke, what happens when the AI is marketing to the AI? When the AI is doing the marketing and the AI is doing the sales and the AI is doing the buying, you know, what? <laughs> maybe then we have the perfect model, but then why are we even bothering? So, you know, I, I, and my point being that these algorithms and the models are going to get better and better. And at some point, if you look further beyond, wow, we have really gone off on a tangent. Sorry, man, for all this no, not talking about your product. But at some point, we get to a point where if we're successful, the efficiencies of money and yield and earning money become kind of silly because we'll just be taking money. It'll just be a UBI, right? And it won't be, it won't, it, it becomes all financial instruments and we're all able to do it because it's all so smart. If the, if we get to there, that, that what is money anymore? AI driven. I, for whatever reason, I never thought about that AI driven setting of incentives to optimize outcomes of a protocol would be a fascinating, I mean, yeah. definitely going to happen. Nobody's doing, nobody actually So does, right? the only one is, the only one starting on that path is Singularity.net and Singularity DAO. So Singularity.net is a, an AI DAO for funding AI projects. And then Singularity, I'm sorry, Singularity.net is for funding projects. Singularity DAO is building algorithms for trading and investing. 
So right now they have a an algorithm that's about 50% manual, 50% AI, but they've built a network with some big engineers and researchers in the AI space from Singularity Net. So it's starting, but it's not there yet. I'm going to check these out. It's very trading oriented at this point. I have an interview on missiondefi.com with the CEO of Singularity Dow. So it's cool. interesting. Yeah. So it's happening. Nice. Not there yet though. Very beginning stages. So, all right, let's, I, I don't think, I don't know if I'm going to leave for my rambling discussion about this, but I, it was fascinating. Yeah, I probably will just for fun, but I want to make sure people get, let's just summarize real quickly, kind of, kind of what we got here. So we have Dow exchange, which is a great way to manage your bounties and incentives and provide community engagement so that communities can grow, whether it be, well, with a focus on marketing, you said, and community growth, but they could theoretically be used, still used for any other aspect of things you want to incentivize people to do for your community, right? And then Chainvine, which is a really cool referral system to definitely focused on growth to get people to actually engage and take actions within on-chain within protocols so people can actually see the results of the marketing and the incentives they're paying people to refer. That's Good. right. That's right. Yeah. And for DAO exchange, by the way, I like, I don't even use the word bounties anymore. DAO ah. exchange is a tool to engage community into action for rewards uh, and also analytics on your community so that you can understand, nice. engage and grow your community. That's good. Oh, right there. You just said the great. So you can under, understand, engage, and grow your community. That's perfect. We'll workshop your we'll workshop your marketing right here. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Anything else we need to know? You got a, you got any product feature alpha you want to tell us about what's coming down the road besides the things we talked about? No, you'll have to. People will have to follow on the journey. People There's, should go uh, sign up and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Great, great. Ask a question. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I ask a question at the end of every interview. And the question is, in your time in this space, who's somebody, a person or a project that you have a great deal of respect for, or that you think is really critically important to kind of the whole path forward for Web3 and DeFi? Trying to, I mean, my, my answer is probably less interesting. I think Uniswap is the unlock to all, like the, you know, AMMs, it's the unlock to the whole sort of token economy. And right. so I generally, I find it, you know, people are, people like to sometimes you know, there's been this big thing on Twitter, which is, you know, like, are there really any real crypto use cases? And that's always the one that I like to bring up the fir first, because it's like, if you want to exchange money today, you know, as a retail person, you're going to play 200 bips. You know, if you're a, like, a, if you run a family office, you're going to pay 70 bips, you know, nowhere can you get 30 bips. Right. And so that's awesome. What's the that number one, what's the number one person that you've gotten as, as the answer to that question? So I would probably say now it's Vitalik, which I'm always kind of disappointed in, but I get it. It's hard to argue, you know, with that. I mean, really, but you know, I like a little creativity. I've had Uniswap, I'd say three or four times. So from a project perspective, so that's a good answer. Trying to think if there's been some, you know, there's been some, I didn't expect, or even people I haven't heard of before, which was great because I learned about, you know, other people in the space that I hadn't connected with. I think I even ended up interviewing a couple of them. But for the most part, you know, it's the kind of standard leaders you hear in the space. But I really get, I like to get to the why of the question, right? Like you just answered that it's the easiest model to show the value of crypto, right? It's like, that's the kind of thing. I love getting to kind of the why they think they have that respect or think that project or person is important. So yeah. So what I've got, what I keep telling myself I'm going to do is go back through every episode and make a list. Yeah. yeah document and make a leaderboard. That's, yeah. That's yeah. threader material. There are people I really like, you know, reading their stuff is the multi-coin team. Really? They're a very contrarian team. Nice. They like to call bullshit on stuff. Yeah. And their perspectives are, you know, often unique. And so I find, uh, and they're very thoughtful. And so I just find generally you learn something by yeah. reading their I, content. I interviewed, oh my God, I'm drawing it. Kyle Samani. I interviewed Kyle Samani. And I felt like he's probably younger than me, but I felt like he was the grumpy old man of crypto. You know, just like this. And I loved his insights. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's wrong or he's bad or anything else, but it was just kind of this just, and every interview you see with him, he's very much like that, you know? And of course, then he says things that get him roundly criticized later 
because it comes back to bite him. And I think there was a tweet last week for him that was pulled up after a hack. Oh, I know what it was. He did a ha- he did a tweet something like, and it was probably last year, something like, "I'd rather go fast than go secure," right? And then it was that that was dredged up. With <laughs> that's yeah, that's multiple a hacks. Tweet. You yeah, I could see uh, you could cope with that one. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but I do like, I like the content they produce. I like their attitude. It's hard to argue with their track record, you know? So, you know, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. We need contrarians. Yeah. We need contrarians. And that's actually one of the things I love most about the space is the, the culture. I used to get like offended by some of the levels of negativity, but I am more and more glad we have people who are willing to call things out. Cause I think that's one of our strengths superpowers is the self-examination we do as a community it also doesn't actually happen enough like if you look at most governance votes they tend to be voted through night with 99 percent affirmative yeah uh, yeah so that's true on the governance side in terms of you know they'll just follow the founder's lead or the core team's lead or hey this is what we need let's do it we've had a couple lately who've gotten scrappy some on die and some others but yeah for the most part you're right I, what I love about it is if an act hack or an exploit happens, or there's a bad actor in the space, there's not like 10 minutes before somebody's doing analysis, somebody's writing a paper, right. somebody's finding the hole, somebody's doing the, you know, the audit. It, to me, it's the most amazing thing ever. Like if that happened in TradFi, we'd be three years and 20 congressional hearings later before we even had a, any kind of action, right? In in crypto, it's like this self-policing thing to some extent. So that to me is exciting. I can give you another person, by the way, actually, to go back sure. to your question. Maybe this one you haven't heard, but you could have totally heard it. James Young of Collabland is a really interesting fellow, and he's very I, thoughtful and quite into his thinking. I'll check him out. I have heard of Collabland, but I have never heard of him. So I will definitely check that out. What do you like about kind of what has struck you by what he does, says, does, writes? He is, yeah, once again, he's a very independent thinker. He has perspectives and analogies that I haven't heard from other people. He is thinking very far into the future. You know, if you look back on things he said in the past, he tends to be quite prescient. Nice. And, you know, it's a very, and then just generally, Collabland is this like very simple tool that has insane penetration. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, he has quite a bird's eye view. Like when I'm lo- like, if you're looking at the DAO space or tokenized community space, the number one way to frankly, I think, assess how big the space is to proxy it by collab land growth. <laughs> That's interesting. That's great. Hard. Sure. So the, the number, the two ways that I look at like growth of that, of the space are like number of Gnosis safe created and number of collab land wallets. I love that. And it makes total sense. And I'll definitely check out James. I wasn't familiar with him, but that makes total sense. Have you found as you dove into this world, like what was it like going from kind of the Silicon Valley venture capitalist backing? I know you weren't living in Silicon Valley or I don't think you were, but the typical tech startup world into this world. Because at the beginning stages, when you started in this, there wasn't a lot of crossover yet. I think we're seeing a lot more of that now, did you find things you were just like, holy crap, what are these people doing? Or did you think, oh, it's just, you know, typical tech and developers and this is the world I already expected. I think crypto is like pretty unique in that it has the financial incentives that I think really mess with everybody. Like it's, you know, this whole concept of like, oh, the moment there's a hack, like immediately someone's writing about it. Usually that's because someone, people are affected by this stuff and like, you know, what's fascinating to me is the extent to which we are actually all interconnected in <laughs> more ways than we think. Like this, you know, like right now, I think we're like, we're, you know, we're there, like the peak bear was like, I don't know, a month ago, right? Or a month right. and a half ago or something. We're coming out of it a bit, but the ecosystem in its entirety was like somewhat depressed. You speak with anybody and there's just this weight, even if it's like, and I'm, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm thinking about the long run, but like there, you know, I just, everybody is, so that, that's the biggest thing that's interesting, the interconnectedness of it all. And like, if you look at the way that things grow and become successful, it's all about like 
did they were they plugged into the community did they know the right people you know it's so it's very uh, feels a bit like high school sometimes <laughs> i can see I, what I, you I, mean I yeah well you know what's interesting is it's the similar psychology to the psychology of people that trade and how markets work right the viral nature of depression or bear the viral nature of euphoria and uh wealth and profit and everything else it's pretty fascinating and it's interesting now that we're talking about it there's so much material on the psychology of trading and how people react to that and react to circumstances in a market condition it's funny though i went to a progressive conference one of bankless's conferences in it must have been i think it was the week after the final crash of everything terra right and I fully expected that I was going to be totally wasting my time because everyone was just going to be like abysmally depressed and negative. And I came out of that show completely energized because this was the interesting thing was the segment of that population were people that were all actively building shit. And so these were people that were like, oh, you know, the people who quit don't show up to those things, right? The people who are like, okay, I'm in it for this quick score and I'm out. They're not showing up for those things. So what was really interesting was to see this group of people that were like, eh, well, whatever, it's just another crash. And they were continuing to build. And this was also people that have been in the space for a few years, right? So they've been through that. I was flabbergasted because I think exactly the way you think that it is, we're all interconnected and we're all very much impacted by how the next guy feels or the next person is reacting. And I was shocked at the how good i felt at that conference like i came out of that like wow there's some really cool shit being built people right. aren't slowing down people are funding things you know and the funding levels are dropping on the investment side right now but from my perspective you know it's cliche at this point that these are the times when the really cool shit gets built you know it's the same story of the post.com stuff and everything else but yeah no. So, but I think that's a really interesting perspective and how that psychology impacts people and how we do. I mean, look, we all sketch ourselves after a crash, kind of getting everybody's down in the dumps and, you know, you're thinking about the money you've lost, or you're thinking about the fact that now you've got to like replace customers that have gone under or whatever it is, you know. I've got one more question for you because, right. you know, you mentioned you, you created this podcast because you like learning and meeting people and so on and so forth. Sure. What are the top, what are the top three to five very specific things you do from which you get your most learning? And so what I, let me give you an example of what's something that might fit into this. It might be like, I follow, you know, Jessica for Fiorelli's Twitter account. Like that would be a right. thing. And like, I get a lot of signal from that. So where's yeah. your like highest signal learning? So specific things. I will tell you that probably 85% of my learning starts on Twitter and I have specific methodology for how I structure Twitter. I, I've right now I have like 16,000 followers, right? And so I go on and regularly call out people I'm following because I will randomly follow people and not randomly. If I find somebody posting something interesting or cool, or I think it's a project I want to look at later, right? I will do the follow. And then I'll turn notifications on for people that really struck me as smart. And I spend 90% of my, I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I intentionally went to my home feed of Twitter because all of my Twitter activity is two places, my notifications and then lists. And I segment people into lists. So hmm. if regulatory issues are hot, legal issues are hot, I have a list of all the best minds I have been able to find in crypto that are weighing in on regulatory legal. I have political, I have project founders list. I have a list of projects that I think I'd like to invest in that I want to get to eventually. And I find that cultivating those lists and my notifications links keeps me sane in terms of there's too much knowledge coming at me. There's too much information coming at me still, but I've gotten very good at it. Now I, uh, this is silly, but I was a debater in high school and college. So I learned skills 
to rapidly digest information and analyze information from both sides. So I'm really fast at like reading the beginnings of a white paper or digesting whether the piece of information for an article is important to me or important to my shows, or I think that somebody or project's going to be interesting or impactful in the space. So I have that training that I've had and honed over the years that's helped me that probably the way I do things might not be as great for other people. So I would like to say there's one particular person, but there really isn't. I have this like this system. cultivated system of people that I follow and that I call out when they're not like when I see consistently, I'm annoyed with a tweet from people from a specific person. I just drop them from the list, drop them from notifications and stop following. And it's very instinctive. So I wish I could say it was formulaic, but it's really me saying, is there value from this person to me? Did I learn something? Did I use something in a show? Did I book a guest because of it? Okay, cool. I'm going to continue that. So that's most of it. The rest of it is I have a bunch of telegram feeds. One person I say that I've learned a lot from is, and there's, there are people like him that I think are very calm, thoughtful, right? Intelligent, detailed documents, analyzing things that I get a lot from. There are people that I thought were really great initially doing long threads that I learned a lot from out of the gate. And then over time, they haven't been producing as much. And so they get called out of the list. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but I have a shit ton of incoming knowledge sources. Like, and I couldn't like right now say to you, oh, I only do this. Like the bankless guys, I listen to their podcasts when I can't. That's another source of information for me. I have a constant stream of podcasts. Anytime I'm driving out and about, you know, listen in the shower, whatever, I'm constantly digesting information and taking notes out of those. I use a note-taking app that I just plug stuff into. It's called LogSeek. It's huh. hyperlinked. It's like a wiki, like a personal wiki. I can hyperlink information back and forth. So that's where I track a lot of information. So I use LogSeek to categorize quickly information, create hyperlinks between contextual information and store data in there. All of my interviews, I take notes in logs and cross-link back things that people mention. So I'd say that, and then I'm lucky now because I can call or message really smart people to get their opinions on shit, you know? And because of these interviews and the friendships mm -hmm. I've made doing a podcast that it, you know, I, I tell people all the time that are in different industries, just start a freaking podcast and start interviewing people if you want to learn this business, because I get so much value out of the relationships I've built from the people I've interviewed and then the friends that they introduced me to. And anything. Hmm. I have telegram feeds from people that are doing like bots that pull up news constantly. I have telegram feeds from the major publications, Cointelegraph, those kinds of folks. But I think, and it's not that I'm special in any way. I just think that I've had trained my brain this way in my whole life. I think that anybody else that saw the amount of info coming into my face all day long would just be run screaming from the room, like, because it's just silly, you know, but I've gotten better at filtering it. I'll say yeah. that. So. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I was yeah. reflecting, by the way, I should actually, I should jump because there's some 20 minutes late for a call. I should, you know, Dude, call I'm it. sorry, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit this down. I will tell you, but I have frigging loved this conversation. Like, Likewise. I hope you don't mind, but I've just thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you and Likewise, yeah, I really enjoyed the first chat, and you're an easy person to talk to. I'll hit you up when I'm in Miami. I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Please do, man. Appreciate. It. You were going to say one more thing, I think. What was I going to say? I've lost the train of thought now. Cool. I will ping you when this is ready to hit, and let you know when it's going to go out. But thanks, man. A lot of fun. A lot of fun too. Thank you. All right. All soon. right. Take care. Bye bye.